On this week's TribCast, we'll talk about the summer and fall of Dennis Bonin's discontent. We've now heard the tape of the House Speaker's infamous meeting with conservative activist Michael Quinn Sullivan, the most important bootleg recording in Texas since the Grateful Dead played the Capitol Theater in El Paso in April 77. Maybe your parents were at that show. What have we learned from Bongazi? Who'll pay a price? How will this affect 2020? And how will it affect 2021? The big question everyone's asking, of course, can Dennis Bonin keep his powerful leadership post? But before we get to the tale of the tape and role play the coming speakers race, I want to thank a few of this week's TribCast sponsors. Raise Your Hand Texas, strengthening public education is for the future because the future of Texas is in our public schools. More at raiseyourhandtexas.org. And Texas 2036. To listen to Texas Tribune Festival panels on the future of Texas education, jobs, healthcare, and transportation, plus a lively Texas versus California debate, visit texas2036.org slash tribfest. Hello, it's Wednesday, October 16th. This is Evan Smith, CEO of the Texas Tribune, in this week for Emily Ramshaw, who's in New York City getting drunk with everyone from ProPublica. I'm your host for this special live edition of the Texas Tribune Tribcast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. Joining me this week are three of our terrific political reporters, Cassie Pollack. Thank you. Hello. Alex Samuels. Hello. And Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. As always, we'll take questions from our listeners in real time on Twitter and Facebook. You can send yours in using the hashtag Tribcast. Cassie, let me begin with you. You have been our lead reporter on this story for the last couple of months. You know what everyone who heard the tape said was on it. You know what the speaker said. You know what Michael Sullivan said, what members of the legislature and conservative stalwarts said. Now we've heard the tape. Who characterized it correctly? Who was right? Who told the truth? Yeah, I think the recording yesterday when it was released, uh, kind of marking a new shift in the months-long uh, drama that we've seen kind of unfold, uh, largely confirmed what Sullivan had alleged, you know, for the first time in late July. I think that's pretty universal across the board. And, you know, to an extent, I think somebody could argue that, you know, the responses that we saw from the speaker and, and Dustin Burroughs, the other House Republican who was in that meeting in June, uh, the responses by them, uh, you know, didn't necessarily want to, you know, push back against any of the allegations, but wanted to cast it more of a, you know, let's move on, the recording's out, we said that we wanted the recording out, let's get on with this. So, so let's be clear. I'm going to say words that I may never have said in my entire life. Michael Quinn Sullivan was right. Ross Ramsey wrote that yesterday. He did, but that's Ross. <laughs> I'm saying me. Ross may have said those words before. I know that I have never in my life said those words before. Michael Quinn Sullivan was right. He told Large, the truth. Largely correct. Yeah. Patrick, is your interpretation of what you heard on the tape that the allegations against the speaker and the former chair of the House Republican Caucus, Representative Dustin Burroughs, were largely accurate as Michael Sullivan laid them out? Yeah, that was how I observed and, and heard the, the tape as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty clear that there was a discussion about these 10 members. Um, and while I don't think there was explicit orders for, uh, you know, Michael Quinn Sullivan and his group to go and, and primary them, there was definitely an implicit understanding that was uh, conveyed uh, that they could 
that they could do that. The understanding was that they should uh, go out and spend money in races targeting specific, which is to say specifically named, Republican members who were considered to be soft or potentially wayward on one or more issues. And then part B is there was also an offer of media credentials for members of Mr. Right. Sullivan's organization. And the way that it was cast, it was do this for us, and then we're going to do this for you. Yeah, I think that that was, that was made clear as the, the exchange there. Right. Uh, Alan, and now, yeah. And now we're obviously waiting to see whether that is something that, uh, you know, is, is um, you know, defies the law. Right. And, a and Alex, I mean, the there, there's a question questions. of criminality, right, Alex? I mean, that's something that we've seen in the speaker's statement yesterday, no criminal wrongdoing. He, he specifically called out the criminal aspect of this. But is the criminal aspect of this the point? There was more of a quid pro quo on this tape, as I heard it, than on the Ukraine call. Um, you know, I don't know if the, are you asking like the criminal aspect of it? Is that going to well, be like is, what? Is, is that the point? In other words, will this whole ball game be in the realm of was a law broken or is this more a matter of politics? I mean, that's the ball game that Dennis Bonin wants. Well, right. So, so <laughs> yeah, mean, Pat, Patrick's right, right, right? I mean, the, the speaker right. made it clear that he wants this to be a discussion of criminality. Right. Is it a discussion of criminality? I mean, I, I don't think so, personally. The, the kind of, you know, encircling up with members yesterday and today, just what are, what's your take on this now that you've heard it or, you know, now that you're talking with members who have actually heard it as well. The two things it keeps coming down to in my conversations are trust. You know, can we ever trust the speaker again? Still remains to be unclear. A lot of people, I think, are skeptical. And then, you know, there's some definitely hard-nosed camps, some hard-nosed in uh, – you know, within the Republican caucus. And then the second thing is kind of a resentment or a frustration of how the speaker's office handled, uh, you know, the allegations when they first surfaced, how they responded. You know, you, we have uh, listened to voicemails that the speaker left on members of the political target list. You know, we've heard of conversations that the speaker had outright denying uh, essentially what the recording yesterday confirmed. Right, and, and that really, Alex, is the point, is it not when it gets to trust, what the speaker said when the allegations were made in the aftermath was there was no list of members. Mm -hmm. Did you hear a list of members on there? There definitely was a list of members and, and on a, there. And a reference of a list by right. the speaker. Yeah. Right. I, heard, I heard a list of members. The speaker said that there was no offering of media credentials, no dangling of this as a potential carrot. Right. No, he was, he was pretty Sullivan's clear group. during the recording. You know, he said, I'll do what Patrick did. I'll take, you know, Braddock off the floor, referencing another uh, Texas reporter. Um, and then... He later came up in the tape too, so it was pretty clear that he was offering, you know, media credentials, taking a, another reporter off the floor, and right. even if you assume that the Braddock people. thing was a joke, mm -hmm. he specifically, Patrick, what he said was, "Let me tell you what I'm going to do for you." And at that point, Michael Sullivan on the tape says, "I don't need anything," right, or mm -hmm. words to that effect. And the speaker comes back and he goes, "No, no, let me tell you what I'm going to do." Is there any way to misinterpret that as not offering one thing for another thing? No, I don't. I don't think so. Just to go back to the kind of vein of questioning that we were on earlier, I think that from day one and the release of the tape didn't change this yesterday, this has been um, first and foremost, not an external PR or even legal crisis for Dennis Bonin, but an internal crisis. I mean, he is elected by members of the House. 
Um, it is a position that you know you hold by maintaining those relationships, or that you achieve in the first place by having those relationships, and that you maintain by um, you know maintaining those relationships. Um, there are obviously legal. There will be legal ramifications. There could be legal ramifications. There's obviously the you know the bad press, um, you know, and the commentary that we <laughs> have here today and at the Tribune, and that's all part of the mix. But I think first and foremost, it's always been an internal crisis for him. It's about losing trust of the people who put you in the position of power in the first place, and that's the 150 members of the of the House. So I want to come back to that in a second because I want to talk about the consequences on the back end of this podcast. But let me stay with what we heard on the, the tape. So if media credentials were dangled, Cassie, to members of Mr. Sullivan's organization, what's wrong with that? Why not allow them to join other reporters or reporters, because if they're not reporters, then that's a different conversation. They believe that they're part of the press. What's wrong with offering media credentials to the folks in Mr. Sullivan's organization? Yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily you know, if there's necessarily anything wrong with that, aside from the fact that Sullivan and his group have long kind of been cast as a thorn in the side of, you know, House leadership, of course, Bonin's predecessor, and then Bonin himself during the session. So maybe surprising is the better way to frame that. I think what maybe took members off uh, guard a little bit was the fact that, you know, Bonin was saying, okay, we'll give you press credentials in exchange for going and targeting these members. What, you know, a month after or weeks after Bonin had made it very clear that he, uh, that there would be consequences for members who, who targeted uh, one of their colleagues in the lower chamber. Right. Alex, another thing that people have brought up today, I didn't so much lock onto this yesterday, but people have continually brought it up to me at least today, is that the speaker not only talked about the potential for Mr. Sullivan's group to target members on a list, but he also talked about not spending money against him, Dennis Bonin, right. in his own primary. Yeah, Dennis Bonin, and also uh, he mentioned Dustin Burroughs. He was like, if you guys you know, find a primary challenger to Dustin, I'm going to have to come up with my own money to help Dustin in that race. And he was like, I also hope that you don't target me. He's like, I have a woman running against me. He was referring to Rhonda Seth. Rhonda Seth. Um, and he talked about Damon Rambo running against him the last right, time. Right. And he said, mm -hmm. oh, I hope you don't really spend money against me, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was really clear, you know, if you want to spend money, do it against these people. And I hope you don't do it against my guys. Right. So basically, he's talking about using Patrick as a carrot, something that is more in the public realm, media credentials given out by the administration committee of the House, I assume, right? Is, that's who Correct, is the yeah. administrating the authority, chairman, right? right? Uh, in exchange for helping him politically in a race, who's he going to go after next? The Bidens? I mean, doesn't this seem to you that there's an odd echo of the national? This is maybe the second most famous quid pro quo alleged in the news at the moment, but it's rapidly becoming the first. Do you right? need non-loaded questions for this? <laughs> no. You can wait till Emily comes back next week. I'm all about the loaded questions. I mean, but I mean, is there not something that jumps out of this tape that is extremely unseemly? Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Whether it, it's legally yeah. a problem or not. <laughs> right, yeah. And it's also, it's funny you mentioned the Trump parallel, and I know we're getting into this is more sensitive territory here, but you also have in the Trump parallel him... Uh, claiming there's no quid pro quo or doesn't meet legal definition of something, and yet that is in some ways beside the point in both of these cases, uh, whether there was actually you know a formal definition or legal right. definition of a quid pro quo right. is damaging in, in many other ways and, and inappropriate or right. unethical in many other ways. Alex, you know, a lot of ways the Texas legislature was like high school with better food, right? <laughs> it, it's that sort of juvenile environment. Um, and so maybe name calling should mm -hmm. be expected in an environment that is essentially like high school, right? 
But there were some personal attacks on this tape that really kind of caught my ear. I know they caught the ear of some other people. Right. And it was the speaker spared nothing mm -hmm. in saying things that maybe he has said before in private. Maybe all speakers talk like this in private. We shouldn't be surprised that people speak like this. But John Rosenthal. Yeah, Michelle Beckley. Makes my um, skin crawl. Right. John Rosenthal is a piece of shit, the yeah. speaker said. Michelle Beckley is vile. Vile, heinous. He made a joke about, um, he's like... Justin Holland can't go around send, sending a mailer that says Michelle Beckley is horrible on it, um, saying that like he couldn't do that. I mean, right. but he never uh, Honor really. Ramos is awful. Right. Like he said he took mm -hmm. out after Honor Ramos twice on that front. Republican Keith Bell, in the words of, of uh, Dustin Burroughs, is a dumb freshman. Yeah. I mean, with the Republicans, at least it was pretty clear why he was going after them. I mean, I think all of the 10, if not most of the 10, voted against that taxpayer-funded lobbying bill. But for the Democrats, he never really explicitly explained what they did to, you know, get under his skin or to be vile or heinous. You know, he never really explains that uh, in detail. Yeah, Cassie, the, the thing about both Beckley and Rosenthal, the speaker does say elsewhere in the tape that he believes they should be targets for the Republicans. Both Beckley and Rosendahl won seats that had been held by Republicans previously, Ron Simmons in the case of Beckley, Gary Elkins in the case of Rosenthal. And the speaker understands that if you're going to keep control of the Texas House next time, Democrats need a net nine seats to take back control and possibly or presumably the speakership. They're going to have to not only protect the people who are at risk, they're going to have to pick back up some seats that they lost last time. So in some ways, his hostility to Rosendahl and Beckley, while the personal stuff may be a little bit over a line, it's not that surprising, right? He, want, he wants to come after those guys. Of, of course, and I think to the broader point there, I think Patrick wrote about this yesterday, is you know, more or less the baseline definitely for Bonin and Burroughs was the 2020 elections, that they're anxious about what can happen and what the stakes are and uh, you know, maybe pulling back the curtain a little bit and just to, in terms of how uh, you know, anxious or use whatever word you want, Republicans are that Democrats could in fact flip the house. Right. And Patrick, you know, one of the things that the speaker did at the end of the session that made news was he came out and he said, look, I am not going to go after incumbent members. I am not going to target incumbent members. And that included incumbent Democrats. But there he is on the tape pretty much bragging to Michael Sullivan about recruiting a challenger to James Tallarico, the Democratic member from Round Rock. Right. Again, am I misunderstanding what the speaker intended when he said this at the end of the session? No, there were a number of comments he made on there that undermined you know the the edict or dictate that he issued at the end of the session where he said if members campaign against members there are going to be consequences um, and you heard a lot on that tape at least in a few instances that really seemed to run contrary to that and seemed to undercut his premise right. um, and that really th I think threatens to have a destabilizing uh, effect on you know whatever kind of truce he was able to force earlier with that um, you know, statement that members shouldn't be campaigning against members. Uh, Alex, I, I want to be sure that um, I unclutch my pearls here when, when we talk about this stuff. You know, I'm shocked to discover that people in politics are assholes, right? How, how, much, of this, how much of this is business as usual and how much of this is actually over the line? In other words, people have said not necessarily forgiving or excusing, but explaining a lot of what we heard on that tape by saying, come on, you know what this is like. You know what these meetings are like when they don't know that somebody is recording you with their pen or whatever it was, <laughs> right? They, they're just talking openly, thinking that they're just talking in the room, and so maybe we shouldn't be that surprised. Yeah, I, I had a, a source text me this morning who hadn't listened to the tape uh, for whatever reason, but he was just saying, you know, you know 
basically what you were saying, how much of this is just business as usual? Like, we know these conversations happen behind closed doors. Um, but the thing was, and I think Bonin tried to uh, say this in a statement yesterday, was that one of his mistakes was taking the meeting with Michael Quinn Sullivan in the first place. Um, you know, just knowing that, as Cassie had mentioned, he's kind of been a thorn in the side of Republican leadership for quite some time now. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, just looking at whether, you know, how many people who take these closed door meetings actually get caught like Bonin did. Right. C Cassie, that continues to be a mystery to me. Do we actually have an answer as to why the speaker thought this was a good idea? Unclear. It did sound, though, as if this was not Bonin's first meeting with Sullivan. You know, I think during the recording he references or mentions uh, a previous maybe breakfast with Tim Dunn, who is one of the, the largest funders of Empire Texans and, and Sullivan. So it sounds like this had just been something maybe like a follow-up or the latest meeting and such a thing. But to go back to the whole, is this just business as usual, I think that's up for the members ultimately to decide. And still, we're kind of in no man's land. People are processing members' phones are blowing, you know, are blowing up. Hey, what are we going to do about this? There's obviously an upcoming GOP caucus retreat. Um, and it's, I think, ultimately going to be up to the Republicans. Hey, is what Bonin said on this recording a liability for us heading into 2020? Right. Uh, but Patrick, I, I want to come back again to 2020 and the, and, the, and the political fallout from this again in a little while. But I want to stick with something on the tape. Patrick, something else that jumped out at me, and it may be because I'm hyper-focused on the narrative through line of not just this last session, but the previous session, and maybe even the session before that, local control. The speaker comes out and says at one point on the tape that his objective for this legislative session was to make it the worst session ever for cities and counties. What's that about? <laughs> well, I mean, we've obviously seen over the past, as you mentioned, the past few sessions, yeah. tensions between Republican leadership in, in Austin at the Capitol and local officials, often in cities that are, you know, happen to be controlled overwhelmingly by Democrats. Those tensions have, have really intensified. Um, and we saw that, you know, in some ways come to a head this past session with the, the passage of the, the property tax bill, which was a priority. And, you know, you saw state leaders kind of charge into the session with that attitude, basically. Right. And you had saying, saw city and county officials telling, march up the street yeah, to testify against. Right. And, and state leaders, though, right. sending out the message ahead of this session, you're either with us or you're against us on this this time around. There's right. not going to be that much of a sympathetic you're not going to get that much of a sympathetic audience. Did you know that, that Bonin was where we know where the governor has been on this. The governor is gleeful in his public statements against cities in general, Austin in particular, and Austin's mayor of late in particular, in particular, in particular, right? We know this. Lieutenant governor has talked about Democrat mayors of big cities, and he's cast it entirely transparently in those kinds of terms. I hadn't been aware that the speaker had, uh, you know, bitten as hard down on this subject as the other two well, leaders well, well, yeah, I mean, well, I think that that sent, I'm sure Bonin shares that sentiment to some extent. A lot of the, you know, um, lines you heard from Bonin in this tape, you have to wonder whether he was exaggerating or being overly emphatic in an attempt to try to appeal to at least what he thought <laughs> Michael Quinn Sullivan wanted to wanted to hear, whether it was, you know, talking about cities and counties in this... Pandering to mucus. Sure, <laughs> perhaps, or at least pandering to what, what he thinks was maybe pandering. I, you know, I, I can't get in the heads of everyone in that room. Um, but whether it's that line or whether you hear him talking about some of these members, um, you know, in really disparaging terms, right. you got to wonder if he was just kind of flexing for... for uh, for Sullivan in some of these cases, or at least saying things that he maybe didn't entirely believe in, in hopes of appealing to the person he was with. Alex, how much of this is inside baseball? I mean, there, it's, it's a different spin on the question as to whether this is um, 
politics as usual or over the line. Mm -hmm. How much of this is inside baseball? How much of this is only of interest to three blocks on any side of the Capitol? How, many, how much of this is only of interest to people know that when you refer to Braddock, that that's his last name, <laughs> right? I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Or how much of this is mass-facing? How much of this is going to be of any interest to people who are not part of this discussion already? We were talking about this earlier, and just in the sense that, you know, it's really hard to explain the situation to, like, the average person who has no idea what any of this is. Um, and so... But the flip side to that is that Democrats could use this as ammo in flipping the House in 2020. And then the other flip side to that is, how do they explain this to like, the average voter? Like, what's happening behind the scenes? How do you, connect, how do you, how connect, do you connect this to, voters to the with progress it? Right. made in this mm -hmm. session? You know, we were talking about public education was such a successful session, and there was property tax relief and all this. And now all of a sudden, there's this thing. Mm -hmm. Where is the disconnect, or is there a disconnect between what we're talking about now and what we were talking about just a few months ago? Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, Democrats, if they're trying, going to try and spin this as being something positive for them in 2020, they're going to have to explain that and connect that to voters. And I don't know if they're. Right. And they Cassie, you just said a couple of seconds ago or a couple of minutes ago, you know, well, it only matters really if the voters think or the, the, uh, the other members, pardon me, of the legislature think it's politics as usual. Right. I mean, you're saying their point of view on this matters in the end, even if it is inside baseball. It's inside baseball that decides who the next speaker is, right? I mean, that's that's the thing, is that there are consequences even if it's not a mass-facing situation. Yeah, of course. And to Alex's point, I mean, with the recording now out and the transcript and, of course, an upcoming Rangers investigation report, um, you know, I know Democrats are speaking openly about this, and I think a fear on Republican side is to what extent do Democrats use this as campaign fodder heading into 2020? Uh, you know, Could you write an ad based on this tape? Yeah, oh, absolutely. What, okay, what's well, <laughs> <I> tech <could>. strategies? <laughs> okay, genius. I what's mean, the not ad? based specifically on the tape, but the message here is, you know, if you're Democrats, you're trying to write an ad and boil this down. You know, you talk about, you know, Texas Democrats are focused on these kitchen table issues, while Republicans who have been in power for way too long in Austin are consumed by internal fighting and backroom deals and, and corruption and, and everything. You could totally write that ad. Um, once you get below that, I mean, you know, there's obviously some more explaining to do, but you don't, you don't need to do that. I think John Rosenthal is already, like, fundraising <laughs> off of it, so. John, John Rosenthal is running an ad featuring a lot of crawling skin or something. What is he doing? I don't remember the exact verbiage maybe Cassie does of the ad, but he had a, he sent out an email campaign. Skin crawling backroom deals was yeah. the email subject. Yeah, you know, I, I think right. for now the political impact of this is more about the mechanics of, uh, of, of campaigning and the process of campaigning than it is about any particular message. The, the big picture here more than any campaign message is the fact that going into this incredibly important election cycle for Republicans, one of the most, the highest ranking, most powerful Republicans in the state, um, you know, is, is facing a complete, um, you know, crisis within his own ranks, or at least, uh, you know, having to work right. to rebuild trust. And not, only, time and not only Democrats, but Republicans calling for him to resign. Right, at, at a time right. when he yeah. should be leading efforts or being be as fully focused on possible right. uh, to recruit candidates, to fundraise, and to do all he can We're to We're just taking a victory majority. lap over the work that was done over the session. Yeah, That's well, now been totally derailed. Exactly, right. or continuing to talk about the victories of the session, right. yeah. All right, so I want to come to the consequences in a second. I've got to just pause for a second and thank a couple of more sponsors of the TribCast. We always do that here at the middle. Uh, I want to thank two more TribCast sponsors. Edge, the Texas Monthly Festival. Get weekend passes now for an unforgettable weekend featuring Leon Bridges, St. Vincent, Brandon Maxwell, Texas Monthly Live, and more. You're going to go to that, Svitek? I may. Yeah. Any hip-hop <laughs> uh, acts that you want to go see at that thing? 
want to do the lineup again? I'm, no, I don't uh, want to do the lineup again. <laughs> November the 8th to 10th. I just know how you roll. Um, November the 8th to 10th in Dallas, Texas. Learn more at edge.texasmonthly.com. This is just like when Emily does it, right? Totally straight. Uh, and the Episcopal Health Foundation, by providing millions of dollars in grants, working with congregations and community partners, and providing important research. See how the Episcopal Health Foundation is improving health, not just health care in Texas. Episcopal health.org. So I want to ask Alex about the consequences. There are legal consequences potentially and there are political consequences potentially. So the legal consequences would relate back to the Texas Rangers investigation of this whole incident. Right, their ongoing investigation. And ongoing this. investigation. We know that they have requested that everybody in the Texas House chill on document destruction. Mm. Right, <laughs> anything that you've got <laughs> that we may want for part of the investigation, preserve it. Mm. We're going to come after it. What what happens now? Um, I mean, Texas Dems were in court yesterday, um, trying to get their, uh, trying to get Sullivan to turn over the recording to the judge. They want to make sure it's authentic; it hasn't been edited, anything like that. Um, I think they also want any correspondence between Sullivan and maybe the Sullivan and uh, a couple Empire other Texas parties. Donors. Okay, right. Um, and I think a judge is expected to make a decision on that in a few days. And I think Sullivan has another motion to dismiss their lawsuit. Um, so there's a couple, you know, different legal things flying around here. Um, as far as the Texas Rangers investigation, all I know is that it's ongoing right now. I'm not sure what the timeline for that looks like um, on my end. S similar, Cassie, to the Ukraine situation that's playing out in the national news right now. Is this really basically a boring old campaign finance Investigation is that what this is? Is that the alleged crime being committed? Campaign finance? Uh, alleged crime from the Texas Democratic well, Party. Well, in other words, if, the, if the, the Rangers are investigating something, they're they're presuming to be determining whether something was committed, some offense. What is the offense that they're investigating? Right. I think this talk of a quid pro quo, and you know, the Rangers don't have pr prosecutorial uh, powers that would be more than likely passed off to the Brazoria County DA who joined the House Committee uh, call for an investigation. Um, that's to the extent that I'm aware of. Patrick, do you have a, a different take? I, mean, I don't. No. I don't. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, that stuff is all going to proceed. I think I'm more interested in, you know, you have the Texas House Democratic Caucus meeting today on this issue. You have the House Republican Caucus right. retreat coming, and so coming that's up. The, and those are the political consequences more than the legal consequences. Right. right. So let's talk about the political consequences, which I think are actually pretty interesting. And really what it comes down to, to me, is simple math. You need 76 to be speaker. That is Ross Ramsey's great wisdom every time we have a speaker's race. Don't ask me about any other aspect of a speaker's race. Can you get to 76 or can't you? If you can get 76, you can be speaker. Three days after the election in 2018, Dennis Bonin came out with 109 names on the list. 79 Republicans, 30 Democrats. Would he have 109 names on a list today, Patrick? It's probably a good question for Cassie. She kicked a question to me earlier, so I'll kick this one. All right. Cassie? Um, I think Republicans who are who have either you know, long been aligned with the speaker and, you know, Democrats. I think there's just an open-ended question right now, maybe a healthy amount of skepticism as to whether Bonin still has the numbers or whether he's going to be able to get to 76 again. I mean, Chris Turner, chair of the Dem caucus uh, yesterday, I'm going to read a, a quote from his quote, you know, quote, for me personally, the revelations are incompatible with Mr. Bonin serving another term as speaker. So that's not necessarily calling for a resignation, but it's certainly casting this sort of 
doubt on whether Bonin is going to have the support again to be elected speaker. Well, well, so let me stay with the Democrats since you brought up the Turner statement. Can you name a Democrat in the House who will vote for a speaker who calls one of their Democratic colleagues a piece of shit who makes my skin crawl and whose wife doesn't know he's gay, which was said of Mr. Rosenthal, speaker was relaying a comment made he, he attributed to his chief of staff, Gavin Massengill, or calls another one of their Democratic colleagues vile or awful. Liberal pieces of shit was another phrase that he used in talking about the next election. Which Democrat is going to vote for that guy for speaker? I don't know. Right, I mean, so... I mean, I think it's, it's, yeah, I think it's very likely that the caucus could come out against him. I mean, you have the, the, the caucus chair ahead of this, this meeting today yeah, personally, also, right. personally saying he's lost his confidence. I mean, that's hey, a pretty we strong need to signal. have more conversations. We're going to have more conversations about this tonight, first for a caucus yeah. meeting and then a caucus dinner. Um, you know, I'm sure, actually, you know, I know Democrats privately yesterday, a lot of them, you know, not having the luxury to go listen to the recording privately and uh, beforehand before its release, uh, were taken aback and surprised actually by just the comments and listening either to the recording or reading the transcript. And certainly I know there's a sentiment among a healthy amount of them who want to call for the speaker's resignation, but it's now a question of, okay, is that in our political best interest to demand for such a thing right, right well, now? That, that is a question. He heading into the election, do you want a weakened speaker, a weakened speaker Bonin, or for all practical purposes, do you want Speaker Pence, right, to tie right. this back to the <laughs> national thing, right? Do you want the replacement in there or would you just be happy to have Dennis Bonin limping into the next election cycle? Right. I mean, there's an argument to be made that that's maybe in the Democrats' best interest to right. let let the Republicans fight this out among themselves and to focus on, um, you know, uh, winning at the ballot box in 2020. I mean, there's a world in which the Democrats come out of this meeting and, you know, s you know have some very strong words for Bonin, but say that we're focused on delivering in the 2020 elections when we're very confident that we're going to have a Democratic House. Yeah. And Bonin has time until, you know, the next session starts. I mean, he could start his apology tour today, and really he has time to, you know, in his words, maybe attempt to make it up to the people who he offended on that tape and then maybe get some, you know. Yeah, there's, there's no... Uh House rule that says if you know seventy six members go on the record against you, you have to resign, right? right. I mean, he can. Right. There's nothing that's going to force him out of office, and mm -hmm. if he holds, you know, and also if he holds on to, if he is able to prove that he's an effective campaigner, which again, this is a huge distraction, and this is going to uh, hamstring that for now. But he has three million dollars he's put into a pack that he intends to spend on behalf of. But if he can hold the, members, if he can right? hold the majority for Republicans, you know, that that could go a long way to to helping him in the next speaker's election if he makes it that far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Part of the, the public silence out there, at least on the GOP side so far, uh, in the first 24 hours of this thing has, I think, largely been attributed, just again, in my conversations with members, uh, to the upcoming caucus retreat on Thursday and Friday. You know, we want to wait and see, talk to people in, in person there. Obviously, there's a lot that could that could potentially uh, play out at that Friday afternoon caucus meeting. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's been some suggestions that uh, both the speaker and Dustin Burroughs uh, violated caucus bylaws. Is there something to be done about that? Is there a broader conversation to be had? What not? Right. So, so let's let's c come back to the question of 76. So let's assume that the majority of Democrats, for the purpose of this conversation, do not feel like they want the speaker to remain as speaker in view of what they heard. Right, give the speaker a couple of wayward Democrats who are just going to stay in with him to get good committee assignments or whatever. He only has 83 Republicans right now. A handful of Republicans on the edge of the edge, Biederman, 
who else called for his resignation? Steve Toth. Toth. Did Schaefer, Schaefer call? Schaefer. Those guys have called on him to resign. Presumably, they're not yes votes for the speaker. John right? Smithy, one of the more senior House Republicans. Right. And then you have part of what you've christened, or others have christened, the X-Men, right? The 10 people on that list. Travis Clardy going to be a yes for the speaker? Dan Parker going to be a yes for the speaker? People who the speaker and Dustin Burroughs specifically called out? My question is, I went into journalism not to do math, but I can count. I don't get to 76, Cassie. Do you get to 76? <laughs> Again, it's, it's tight right now, and I think both sides across the spectrum, it doesn't matter if you're with the speaker or not, you're openly questioning or openly questioning in the sense that it's ongoing conversations right now is, does the speaker, is he able to get to 76? And right. up in the air, and you know, to your X-Men point, they, you know, the, the 10 members on that list, they haven't yet explicitly as a group uh, necessarily called for the resignation. I think back when the allegations first surfaced, you did have, you know, Phil Stevenson kind of going out and telling his local paper, you know, the speaker needs to resign. Tan Parker fell just short of it uh, in a but, couple but different they, But they don't have to call for him to resign. Right, right, They can right, just simply course. say, we're not going to call for him to resign, but we also don't necessarily want to say we're signing a pledge card. Right. Right, for the speaker. And Alex, that also is before the election. And that's the interesting conversation. You're at 8367 right now. Mm-hmm. Show of hands on this table at, at this day is <laughs> who thinks that the Republicans are going to have more than 83 after the next election? More than 83? More than 83. Next. In other words, will the Republicans be in a better position from a partisan split standpoint after 2020? Oh, in a better position? Yeah. No, I, I, You're at 8367. Will the Republicans have at least 83 or more than 83? It's possible. It's possible, but... Mm-hmm. Is, is, I think they will <laughs> net a loss of seats. I'm not ready to say they're going to lose the majority, but well, you're right. I'm not yeah, asking yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So if you, have, if you start with fewer than 83, doesn't it become harder, Alex, to get to 76? Right, and, you know, it's a numbers game, as you've said, with the 76. You know, uh, you said 83... 60, it's 8367 right, right now. Right, and if you right. take that, you know, we could, maybe the 10 X-Men who you're saying get pissed off. Maybe a few others get pissed Freedom off. Freedom Caucus guys. Right. I, th- I think we've made this point a couple times on TripCast, mm-hmm. but, you know, Dennis Bonin in the 2018 speakers race definitely proved himself to be the best organizer and the, the, the quickest organizer in the House. And I think a lot of questions, or a big question on a lot of members' minds right now is, okay, if we call for a resignation or if we sign something, saying that we're not going to vote for him. You know, what's the alternative? What is the step two to doing that step one? And again, you know, we're out here 24 hours afterward and there hasn't, you know, take all the caveats that we've mentioned, upcoming caucus retreat, whatnot. Can another member, Democrat or Republican, organize the way that Bonin did in 2018 to get some sort of counter to him? And here is where, as we end, I drink again from the cup of Ross Ramsey wisdom. Ross says you got to get to 76. Ross also says, and not only Ross, you can't beat somebody with nobody. In order for there to be uh, a challenge to Dennis Bonin, somebody has to have the stones to step up. And as of right now, that has not happened. No one has come out and said, I'm challenging this speaker. Correct. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So until that day happens, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to see what, where, where we go with this. Um, that's all the time we have. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Raise Your Hand Texas, Texas 2036, Texas Monthly, and the Episcopal Health Foundation. An extra special thanks to Spoon for our theme music on behalf of Cassie, Alex, Patrick, and our producers, Michael Ray and Bobby. And I think Todd, 
this week as well. Let's just throw Todd in there for grins. This is Evan, like you, unable to contain my glee at the thought Emily will be back next week. Thank you so much for listening.